today's Easter Sunday. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it really is. It's April 1st, and it's Easter Sunday. We get to put the two together on one day, and we're excited about it. But you know, one of the things that is so valuable when it comes to Easter, one of the reasons I love Easter so much is because of the thing, the very event that we celebrate today. And it's the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the anchor with which we put our faith. It is the anchor with which we, as followers of Jesus, that we put all of our hope and all of our trust in. And the truth is, without the resurrection, there would be no Christianity. When you think about it. Before there was a resurrection, there were no Christians. In fact, when Jesus died, the individuals that followed Jesus, they checked unfollow. They said, I don't want anything to do with this. In fact, several of his closest confidants, when Jesus died, they put themselves in a locked room for fear of what those that crucified Jesus might do to them. When Jesus died and they put him in a tomb, there was nobody sitting there at the tomb that was counting down. Ten, nine. Hey, there was nobody standing there like telling the son, okay, this is when he's going to come out of the tomb. There was nobody sitting there expecting Jesus to come out of the tomb. As you've heard us say before, nobody expected no body. When it came to the Resurrection Sunday, there wasn't a single follower of Jesus that expected there to be no body in the tomb. But there was nothing there. And that's why we get to come here today and celebrate is because while nobody expected it within that tomb, there literally was no body. The Apostle Paul, who was one of the greatest church planters and church starters, he documented this 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 resurrection, documented Christianity, if you will, in many instances. But he documented it here to the church at Corinth. And this is what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the. The gospel. I want to remind you of the very thing that you believe in. The thing that, the the basis for your belief, for your faith. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. For what I received, in other words, what I've received, I've passed on to you. As of first importance. And here's what he passed on. That Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried which that's what you do with dead people. That really doesn't make much value, right? I mean, anybody that dies, they're going to be buried. He's telling them that Jesus died, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on, he says, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Basically, as he's saying that, and, and then he appeared to the 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. In other words, he's saying this, these guys are still living. As he's writing this letter to the church at Corinth that he has planted, that he started, he's looking at them and saying, if you're questioning the resurrection, fact check me. If you're questioning whether or not the resurrection was true or not, fact check me. Because Jesus appeared to Cephas, who we know as Peter. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared then to 500 brothers and sisters, and most of whom are still living today. Then he goes on and says, though some have fallen asleep. Now, I love this have fallen asleep. You know, these individuals that encountered a resurrected Savior, you know what they realized? (laughs) That when 
people die, when, when followers of Jesus die, there is this essence that what is of today is not all that is today. That there's something more to this life than this life. That when, when we die, there is something beyond death. That it's as if we are falling asleep and we're moving into the next phase. That they believed this, that they weren't fearful of death. But they understood that, hey, there's, the majority are still living. Fact check me. I dare you. Go talk to them. But you know what? There's some that aren't. And we look forward to seeing them on the other side. And then he goes on and he says, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. <laughs> you see, Paul, in his letter to the church at Corinth, he documents the resurrection. He documents what is going on within the Christian faith. He documents what some thousand, two thousand years later we would still be talking about today. You see, the resurrection is the hook with which everything hangs. The resurrection is the hook with which all of our faith, all of our belief, all of Christianity hangs upon. And if the resurrection is not true, then why do we gather here today? If the resurrection is, is not true, then why do we even come together and, and try to follow this man named Jesus, who was a great teacher? He was a good individual. And he was crucified. But if the resurrection wasn't true, then what does it mean for us today? So today, here's what I want to do. I want to do three things. I want to talk to the people that believe but wonder. I don't know about you, but I've, I have a feeling that there's some people in here that believe. They want to believe so bad that the story of Jesus is true. They want to believe that their childhood faith is a reality. They want to believe, but, but they've got this wonder inside of them that what if I'm wrong? What if this is all concocted? What if this is made up? You've got this wonder inside of you that one day I would love to see my loved ones. I would love to believe that there is a heaven, that we really will see something beyond this life. I would love to see them. For those of you that, are, that, that believe, but you have those wonders, my hope is to communicate today that your belief, your faith is not in vain. For those of you who wonder how anyone could believe, I want to bring you in as well, because you're probably pretty spot on. You probably have great opinions and great thoughts and great realities as to why would anybody ever believe this story? Because the reality is probably some of you in here today, you were a church person. And then you began to see that the realities of life, the questions of life just did not match up to the, the Sunday school answers you continued to give. You continued to give. And as a result of that, you wonder how anyone could ever believe this story. And then for those of you in here that wonder if it's even possible to ever believe again, I want today to be an offering, to be an opportunity, an invitation that maybe it's worth stepping into. Maybe it's worth saying, okay, I would like to try this again. So why is this such a big deal? The problem with the resurrection, the problem with so many of our belief structures is this. And, and today, here's, here's just, I, I'm excited because we've got a smart crew in here. Like I'm looking around and I see some educated individuals. And I love it. I need your thinking caps on today because I want to have a conversation with you where we talk about the resurrection and we talk about the why. Because the problem with the resurrection and the problem that so many individuals have is because the resurrection gets lost in details. 
that there's this idea that the resurrection was this concocted story that these individuals, decades and decades and decades after Jesus passed away, that they concocted the story so that it could push their belief structure. That there wasn't even eyewitnesses that were championing the resurrection, but they, they concocted the story so that they could have the value. In fact, the problem is, and many people, we had lost the details, the resurrection of Jesus it's the written accounts, people say, were too far removed from the actual events. When you begin to try to juxtapose, well, when did the resurrection happen, and did it really happen, and who documented it, and how do we have this documentation, and, and when did it land, like, was it, was it 30, 50, 90, was it centuries after it? People begin to say it was too far removed from the actual events to be an accurate account of the actual events. And you've probably heard individuals that have, that have said that. That the, the problem with Christianity is this resurrection piece. And if you really believe that a man died and came back to life, I just have struggles with that because you really believe somebody would come back to life. And odds are somebody concocted that story so they could push their agenda on individuals. But here's, here's what I want us to do today. Is I want us to wrestle with that idea. That one simple idea that maybe, maybe just maybe, there is some time stamps that we can utilize to place the documentation of the resurrection a little bit closer to the actual events. In fact, Paul, he made one of those statements. The Apostle Paul, uh, it, many of you have heard of the Apostle Paul. He was one of the greatest church leaders uh, ever, ever. In fact, there are, um, there are reputable um, early history historians, really, that they believe... I've heard it said multiple times that Paul, not Jesus, was the most influential person in the life of Christianity. That Paul's ability to take the message of Jesus all over the, the rim of the Mediterranean Sea, to take it to Rome, Paul's ability to take it to the Jews and the Gentiles, he did more for the sake of Christianity than even Jesus ever did. Now, as a follower of Jesus, there's something inside of me that says, I don't know, can you say that out loud? But there are historians, both Believers and non-believing historians that when they look at the Apostle Paul, they see that this was an individual that was very influential and very historical. He was real. In fact, in 2009, I was reading several articles about Paul. And here's why. Because it was believed that that was the 2000th anniversary of his birthday. That he was born somewhere around the year nine. So 2009, there were specials. I saw one special on PBS and on CNN talking about documenting this historical figure. And it wasn't just Christians that they were putting on the, lime, on the, the camera to say, validate your belief. But it was historians that they were asking about what they had found about this Apostle Paul. So Paul, who we know as being this church starter, who is a historical figure that, that, that many historians believe to be true, reputable historians believe to be true. Throughout the course of the Bible, we've got, we've got 13 letters that he wrote. But the problem is, is that some individuals, some historians believe that Paul did not write all of those letters. There's some questions as to whether or not he wrote them all or not. In fact, they believe that there was this pseudepigraphical, basically, is where somebody writes a letter on behalf of somebody else. Imagine you want to write a book and you want it to be a bestseller. The best thing you can do is like write Stephen King at the bottom of it and maybe it'll pass, right? Well, these individuals, there's a belief that there were some of the letters that Paul wrote, seven to be exact, or six to be exact, that were 
maybe not necessarily written by Paul. I mean, it looks good, it sounds good, but was it really written by him? But we do know that there were seven that were undisputed. That it doesn't matter who you are as a historian, as a reputable um, theologian, or as just an individual that loves ancient history. There are seven letters that Paul wrote around the 50s and 60s, like year 50, not 1950, but year 50, that are undisputed. And these letters are Romans, and 1 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians, and Galatians, and Philippians, and 1 Thessalonians, and Philemon. These are the seven letters that Paul actually wrote, and that historians, regardless of their religious belief, actually can believe. And this is the cool thing. Wikipedia can back me up on this. Not that I did all my research on Wikipedia, but I, I googled it. Just I was like, let me see, because this is what I was taught, but I want to see, is this true? And the beautiful thing is, it goes across spiritual lines, that these are letters that are undisputed, that theologians and historians alike agree that Paul wrote. In fact, the letter that I quoted from earlier today is one of these letters. Paul wrote it in 55, the year 55. Now, to give that a little bit of context, I want to put a timeline on the screen. It is believed that Jesus died, and as we believe the resurrection to be true, was around 30 to 32, the year 30 to 32. So if Paul wrote this letter, this letter was written in 55. This is 25 years after his death and his resurrection. But one of the things we see is that this was when Paul wrote the letter, and he references experiences, he references this time that he went to Corinth to teach them, to talk to them, to actually plant a church. And as you look through research, we find that this was three years prior, in the year 52. And you can see that as Paul was writing. He's writing in past tense, isn't he? In fact, we can read it again. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. I want to remind you of what I shared with you when I was with you three years ago. So we're looking at, this was written in 55, backtrack to 52, which now we're looking at roughly about 20 year span between crucifixion and, and the actual, let me share with you about this. And he continues on. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of what I've preached to you, which you've received, past tense, and on which you have taken your stand. And then he goes on and says, for what I have received. In other words, I'm telling you this in 52, but this is something I received. This is something that was valuable to me. This is something that, I, that, that, that came to me, and I just cannot be quiet about it. I've got to share. I've got to talk about it. I've got to, anywhere I go, I want people to know the very thing that I received, I want to pass on. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins. And you can, you can do research. I saw there's been several studies, whether it's the History Channel or CNN or um, even PBS, different places, that they really believe that Jesus was a historical figure. That there's no, there's no doubting the fact that Jesus lived, that he was here, that he was a great teacher. He was, I mean, a great individual. He made some pretty crazy claims about himself through the course of his teaching, but a lot of the teaching that we can, we can grab our hands around, like those are very solid, sound teaching thoughts. That There's no doubting that he was a real figure, and there's also no doubting the fact that Romans executed this individual. There, there's a lot of both spiritual as well as atheist and agnostic theologians, if you would, reputable, reputable historians that look at this and say, yeah, he, he died. It's this resurrection piece. 
He died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and then it goes on, and that he was raised on the third day. You see, this is the piece that becomes difficult for our minds to grapple with. This is the piece that becomes difficult with, especially those who are believing, can I put my faith in an individual that that died and came back to life? Can I really begin to believe in something? I'm wondering if this is even a reality, but can I put my faith in that? And it's, it's a little easier for us to say that it's, 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 it's hundreds or decades of years of transpired, of oral transmission that over time got lost in translation. But when we look at the timeline, we look at Paul, who is a historical figure, who theologians as well as historians believe to have been writing this letter around 55 in 52 was when he traveled there, as we said earlier. But here's the cool thing. We think that's 20 years. In the year 44, he was actually taking church planning trips to Cyprus. This is 12, 10, 14 years removed from the resurrection and the, the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, you're, you're saying, okay, but that makes sense and all, but why? So we're 12 years removed. How does Paul know all this? I mean, really, how does the Apostle Paul, how does he know this? How did he get so changed? How did he get so transformed? Like, what was going on? How does he know this, that he can speak this as fact? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in another one of his undisputed letters, it was a church that he wrote to the, to, uh, a letter he wrote to the church in Galatia. This is what he says. He says, oh, wait, sorry. I got a little ahead of my game. Um, here's what he says. That he was raised, so he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. He's sitting here saying, I saw them. Here's what I know. I got the chance to hang out with Peter, and I got to talk to him. Cephas is another name for Peter, who is one of Jesus' twelve men. I got to talk with him. And then I got to, I got to see that he was appeared to the twelve, and, and then he goes on and he talks about how he got to see the brother of Jesus. He got to experience Jesus. Now, the reason we know this is because he documents this in a letter that he wrote to the church at Galatia. And here's what he said about that experience. He said, then after three years, so if you're following me, he hung out in Cyprus and he started churches around 44. So in 44, he was so moved by this. And it says three years after his conversion, after he had this, this mind-boggling experience, he's like, whoa, wait a second. There's something true to this. It says three years after that, he went to Jerusalem. Well, who wouldn't want to go to Jerusalem? If you've got this experience that you're sitting here saying, there's got to be something more. Like this, this is blowing my mind. I want to talk to, I want to experience, I want to ask questions of the individuals that got to see Jesus. <laughs> he went to Jerusalem three years after his conversion to get acclimated, to get acquainted with Cephas. And he says he stayed there for 15 days. Look at the detail. He stayed there for 15 days. And what would you ask individuals that walked with Jesus if you got to have uninterrupted time for 15 days? I mean, I can only imagine that he was asking him not just about the teachings, like were they legit, but he was sitting here saying, what did he teach you after the resurrection? What was going on after, like, after he came back to life? Like, I want to know, because you changed and the men that followed him changed, I want to know what's going on. And so it says that he, he talked to Peter, and then it goes on, and he says this, And I saw none other of the apostles, but I saw James, the Lord's brother. And I've said this before. What would it take for you to believe that your older sibling was 
really who he said he was, that he was the Savior, he was perfect. What would it take for you to be able to believe, to look at your brother, to look at that older brother that set the bar so stinking high that you'll never be able to live up to it? What would it take for you to believe him when he says, I am the son of God, I am the life and the resurrection, I am the king of kings? It would take a whole lot. I would argue that it possibly would take him actually dying and coming back to life. And so he got to hang out. He got to see James, the Lord's brother. So when we pull out this timeline once again, we look that when we begin to try to make this resurrection, this this law, decades and decades and decades removed from actual written records, when we begin to try to say that there's no way this could happen and the reason is is because it was just hearsay and it was documented and it was shared and nobody knew what they were talking about and it was it was 50, 80, 100 years after the fact, we begin to look that, well, Paul wrote about it in 55 because he told him about it in 52, but he told other people in 44. And so then we begin to look at the, the time that he spent in Jerusalem with these individuals was around 40 A.D., with around the year 40, which he says was three years after his conversion, which would put his conversion around 37. Now, you think about Paul. Paul is an individual that it's believed, and, and nobody discredits the fact that he was probably a Pharisee, that he was an, a very A-type leader who was going out, who was one of the, the leaders of the day trying to eliminate the way, eliminate the followers of Jesus. And yet this individual, just a few five to seven years removed from the crucifixion and the resurrection, is is following this pattern and is saying and is so moved by the resurrection that it changed his life completely but if you want to take the timeline you can take it a completely different step because here's something that i have a feeling that many of us this is for me this is kind of geeky and i love like this is what i I love but the reality is that this is something that probably many many philosophy, historian, many professors don't necessarily lean into this, but there's more to this story than just the timeline. And here's why I say that. Because when you look at this, this story, when you look at the, the way Paul wrote to the, the, the church in Corinth, he wrote based upon what we would call a creed. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you have any creeds that you live out. We do at our house. We, we're trying to teach our kids um, a creed. And the reason is, is because they don't know how to write or read. When, when you don't know how to write or read, the best thing you can do is to teach kiddos something based upon cadences. And here's something we're teaching our boys. And we'll just teach you so that, that way we can all be on the level playing field, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. We... We're trying to get them to know the alphabet, and there's, it's so weird to try to put 26 different items together. So the best thing is to create a cadence, to create some rhythm behind what's going on. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Now I know my ABCs. Next time I'll be a PhD. So, Right? Isn't that, isn't that how you, I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to teach our boys that they're going to, like, right? Like, the sky's the limit. But the cool thing is this, is when you have individuals that can't read or they can't write, the best way to transmit important pieces of information is to put it in a cadence. 
And back in the day, this is something that's completely foreign to us. Back when this was written, back when Paul was, was circulating these letters and trying to get with different individuals and plant these churches, there was in a major metropolitan area, roughly 12 to 15 percent of the individuals could read and write. So the best way to transmit information and, and to widespread transmit it would be to create a creed around it. And so Paul knew right from the beginning, in fact, many scholars, both, both um, very religious scholars, but also scholars that just study the first century, study Christianity as a cool thing, they look at this passage and they see that there's a creed that Paul is pointing out. And if we change the words, just a, if we tweak the words just a little bit, you can begin to see that this was what Paul was preaching about. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our, sin, for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. And as you look at Paul in 55, writing about what he told them in 52, don't forget, don't you remember what I shared with you, which was obviously something that was inside of him because he was going around teaching this very simple, basic message that Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and, and, and was seen. He, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. You begin to see that they were creating creeds around these basic tenets so that anybody and everybody, as early as seven, eight, nine years removed from the resurrection, would be able to, to share information. So when we begin to think about and process, how can this be true? Is there really a resurrection? Like, did Jesus really die and pull off his resurrection? Can I really put my faith in that? I want to encourage you, and I want to I lean into you, and maybe, maybe, maybe just pull one layer of doubt away from you, because here's the, the truth. Paul's letter, it's not evidence for a resurrection, but here's what it is. Paul's letter is, rev, is evidence that there were people in Jerusalem who saw Jesus die and believed he rose from the dead. That there were people in Jerusalem just a few years after his death, burial, and resurrection who believed that he did rise from the dead. Another thing it tells us is Paul's letter proves that the resurrection of Jesus was not a product of decades of oral transmission. Because Paul, who was a historical figure, just a few years after the resurrection, is talking about the creeds and the way that they were dis, they were they were dis, 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 they were sharing information, the way they were trying to get this word, get this message out to anybody and everybody they can. So it proves that there were people in Jerusalem that saw him. It proves that it's not a product of decades of oral transmission, but it also proves that the belief in the resurrection was documented while eyewitnesses were still eyewitnesses. It proves that while there were still individuals who saw his bloody, lifeless body hanging on a cross, that they saw him a few days later. Mary, 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 Martha, they ran to the tomb, not expecting an empty tomb. They ran to the tomb to take care of the, of the body with which they loved, only to find that it was gone. Talk about changing their life. Peter, the individual Paul references, a couple days after the resurrection, he's having breakfast with him on the beach. You think about the stories, you think about these individuals that witnessed it, that saw it, and then they gave their lives for it. Which 
you might be sitting here saying, yeah, but you're using Paul, who's the, the Bible. Like, how do we know Paul didn't lie when he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth? Well, if you look at Galatians, which was an undisputed letter, you go one verse down, 120, he actually says, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not lying. I, this really happened. But that's just quoting him to say that he did it. But here's another step to it. Do you know nobody, no historian, respectable historian, believes that Paul lied about this? Because his life validated his message. They believe without a shadow of a doubt that Paul's life, this individual who was a Pharisee, who, who was this social and, and political and religious leader of the day that they believe wholeheartedly, this individual would do a complete about face. And then would begin going to Jews and telling them the Jewish king you're looking for is not the Jewish king you need to look for. There's a savior and you missed him. To which that cost him almost his life countless times. So what did he do? He ran to the Gentiles. He said, hey, by the way, you need a savior and it's going to come from the Jewish nation. Good luck with that. You begin to look at the boldness and the veracity that Paul had. That scholars that look at his life, they look at his life as if this is a man that was that many could believe to be crazy, but this was a man that lived it out. His life validated his message. So Paul, wrestling with these truths, wrestling with this struggle, he wholeheartedly, knowing he wants what's best for anybody and everybody, would go into communities, communities he didn't know anybody, and plant a church basically saying, Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Follow me. Christ died for our sins and was buried, and he rose from the dead and was seen. Let's go. Let's run. Let's create something special. In fact, the same boldness that Paul had, it reminds us that many people, and, and it's easy for us to, to begin to try to figure out what's the basis of Christianity. Paul's boldness and his letters remind us that the Bible didn't create Christianity. Many times in our culture today, we try to protect this document, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but our faith is not based upon ancient scriptures. Our faith is neither based upon what Christians had to say. Paul's letter reminds us that Christians didn't create Christianity, that Christians didn't go out trying to create this message in order to, to push an agenda that they wanted to push, that no, the thing that created what we call Christianity is the resurrection. It's the resurrection of Jesus that created the very thing that we believe to be true. And that's Christianity. Now here's what happened. I talk about James. I mean, what would, what would make you say your older brother really is the son of God? Well, pulling off his death, burial, and resurrection. But you think about how it changed and impacted the individuals around Jesus during that day. In fact, Peter, who Paul documents, Peter and one of Peter's friends, John, it said in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts, which is this travel journal, essentially, where they're trying to document the early days of the church and, and how the church began and documents all of these, these, these missions to start churches all around the Mediterranean rim that Paul took, as well as Peter and James and John and different others. In, in this travel journal, Luke documents early on how Peter and John responded. Peter and John were brought before the very leaders that crucified Jesus. And they told him, said, guys, you got to be quiet. 
You've got to be quiet. You cannot be speaking in this name of Jesus. You cannot be sharing. You cannot be propagating. Listen, um, you saw what we did to your leader. You saw what we did to Jesus. Now you need to hush it. And here's how they responded. These individuals that just a few years ago, just a few months possibly ago, were locked in a room fearful of what these leaders could do to them. They said this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I just imagine them wagging that finger at them. Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And he goes on and says, salvation is found in no other name, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other name. These are the guys that just crucified Jesus. How in the world could Peter and John have such boldness? How could they have such, such this candidness that, you know what, I don't care what you do to me, it's going to be okay. These Jewish leaders, they, or these leaders, they never saw such boldness. When they're getting ready to crucify somebody, typically what would happen is they would be pleading for their life. They would go borderline crazy. But these individuals, there was something different about them. There was something changed as a result of something that they saw, something they heard. And it says that when the leaders saw their courage, the courage of Peter and John, and he realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, didn't that give you hope? Like, these are crazies. When they were astonished and they took note, these men had been with Jesus. And then it goes on and it says this, um, when, which, which is right in God's eyes. Oh, it, it goes on and it says this. They began to push. They said, fine, we will let you go. But don't mention that name of Jesus any, anymore. And here's how they responded to these, to these leaders that very well could crucify them and put them to death. Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges of that. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we, wouldn't it be nice just to put believe there? We couldn't help speaking about what we believe, what feels good, what I think might be right, but we really want to push an agenda, so I might die for this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, let's just do what, it feels right. We'll stand up for this because maybe it's true. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen heard their lives were changed by what they saw so when paul a few years after the death burial and resurrection was able to take this creed and begin to plant churches on it christ died for our sins and was buried he rose from the dead and was seen christ died for our sins and was buried he rose from the dead and was seen while that is a story that many people like to discount as, as myth, as legend, as something that was, that was created over decades upon decades upon decades, that was an account that Paul, a historical figure, Peter, John, historical figures, gave their life for within a decade, two decades of the event. Not because of what they believed, but because of what they saw and they heard. Here's what I hope. If you're sitting in here today and you believe, but you wonder, I hope that today you can go from here believing and thinking, 
that maybe my faith is not in vain. There is hope that these individuals who were, who were fearful of death at one point, they saw death as something not to be afraid of, but something that launches them into the next stage of life. If that's you, I hope and I pray that you can peel that layer back and you can begin to have this belief that it is, it is right. For those of you in here who wonder how anyone could believe, I hope that perhaps this helps. I hope that perhaps this is something that helps you see how followers of Jesus can come together and, and, and believe in and give their lives for a Savior. A Jewish carpenter who lived some 2,000 years ago. Perhaps this can help maybe allow you to take a step. And then for those of you who wonder, is it possible to ever believe again? I want to give you an invitation today to take that step. I want to give you that invitation to process and think about within your own mind, within your own hearts, that this is more than just a document. This is more than just a book of letters. This is more than, than, than my childhood faith. That there is something to this. There is something to the resurrection that these individuals gave their life for. And if it was good enough for them, God, grant me the courage to take a step say maybe it's good enough for me you know the beautiful thing is this story the story of Jesus it changed the world once it changed my world and my hope and my prayer is that for all of us whether we find ourselves in in believing but wondering in wondering how anyone could believe or if we find ourselves wondering if we'll ever believe again. I want you to know the story of Jesus changed the world once. It emboldened, it impassioned, it changed individuals. And I believe it can change our lives.